Hi, and welcome to the Brewery FM podcast hosted by Scott Hoag and Dan Usher, just two techies separated by a pop filter talking cloud, Frodo Baggins' feet, and technology. I'm Scott Hoag, and this is episode 24, recorded on 23 July, 2015. say we crack this open uh you know i'd like to crack it open but <clears throat> only if we're using a cute little bottle opener that opens up old bay summer ale yeah two weeks in a row i'm falling behind it's uh it's unfortunate but you know when we drive up and down the east coast 28 times in the period of two weeks i think it's worthwhile yeah you know at least i got to use that little nifty nason works bottle opener thing that you got hmm yeah, cool guy gave that to me. Yeah, yeah. Somebody keeps emptying the bottle caps off it, though. I wasn't me. Was not me. So, uh, you know, got to stop and describe this thing, right? It's a hunkin' block of wood, a, a, a decent chunk of maple that's sitting on the fridge, a bunch of big magnets, and it's got a really nice bottle opener in it. And you can uh, open up your beer on it. And the premise is that it has an even bigger magnet built into the block of wood that catches the bottle cap as you open it. And it's spec to hold 65 bottle caps at a time. So it also doubles as a hard drive eraser? Yeah, yeah, if you're into that kind of thing. So, I mean, you know, just in case uh, the heat come and knocking on your door... Go pop open a beer, grab your hard drive, wipe it against it, boom! You got, uh, well, probably all recoverable data because it's probably not that powerful. Yeah, I'm sensing a new business for the summer. Mm. Like a good side hustle. Yeah, you know. Bad idea. So, uh, it's been a couple weeks, man. What's up? Uh, been a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We, we missed last week, mostly due to uh, you having a social life and me being lazy. Well, there is that. So follow up, uh, I guess I was down at the World Partner Conference for Microsoft and hanging out at uh, Epcot and a couple other places. And you were... Uh, I was sitting heads down doing client work because, you know, day job. Ah, okay. No uh, no fun trips to other cities? Uh, no, not too much fun stuff going on. I lead a boring life. I I commute back and forth between D.C. and Jacksonville, and, you know, that's enough excitement for me here and there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a a short commute, right? Yeah, yeah, totally easy. Ten hours, one way, with no traffic, totally doable. Yeah, I don't recommend anybody else do it, but I'm crazy enough to give it a go. You should just use Yammer. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to get everybody over to Slack. It's not working that well, but... Uh, someday I'll get that executive buy-in that I need. Someday. Yeah. Uh, so other than that, the only follow-up I've got is, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, WPC was uh, a blast, as always most Microsoft conferences are. Um, bumped into a couple faces, Jason Himmelstein, uh, Jeff Diverter. I think I saw Shane Young off in the distance and... Nikia Carter up on stage presenting down in the social booth. Uh, surprisingly, I did not see Jeff Willinger or Christian Buckley. but I'm sure they were both there. They, they probably were. And you know, there's somebody else that I saw, but maybe uh, somebody on the show will remind me. Who knows? Yeah. Um, the only... Who, who is this mystical person? I don't know, but I swear I saw somebody else down there. I know Rob Windsor was in town, but I didn't get to see him. Uh... Uh, oh, yeah, 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 no, I bumped into Naomi and Gina, um, which was good. And I also bumped into the infamous or infamous, I'm not really certain what the difference is, uh, Michael Washam from uh, Obstility. Yep. So, And we will probably bump into a lot of those people uh, this coming weekend, right? We've got SharePoint Saturday in New York City coming up on the 25th. Mm, New York City, yep. Yep. And I'm going to be talking about what worst practices, right? I we think. should we should probably document those. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you and I are doing a session on worst practices, and uh, I was crazy enough to volunteer for an extra session in the morning of all things. Don't really know what I was thinking there. Uh, all of a session on SharePoint hybrids. Cool. And how broken they are. Well, I mean, it's getting better. Sure. 
Hmm. Yeah, I think I'm going to add some slides on that. So uh, a couple announcements from WPC. Uh, apparently on Wednesday afternoon, I had already left at this point, but uh, is it Seth Patton? Is that his name? Yep. Uh, I think he came on stage and talked about SharePoint 2016 having some like preview release. Yep. So preview is coming out in August. A couple cool. months ahead of schedule. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm uh, interested to get my hands on that and see what this 2016 thing is all about. It's all about minerals. Mm, minerals, it's good. We mine those. Yeah, mm, yeah, but you know, I'm still looking forward to the Cinnabon release, but uh, I'll, I'll go for the minerals. Cinnabon will as, kill you, man. You know, as long as I can wrap those little hot dog things up in them and just have uh, you know some finger foods to snack on, it'll be okay. Delicious. Mm. Yep, pigs in a blanket. Oh, so good. Um, so keep into the show notes because we got to do that. Uh, so yeah, that happened, didn't that? Um, good old uh, Microsoft. They, I guess, pseudo RTM'd, or I, I guess the build is TH1 is what it's showing up as for those of us that have already pulled down ten two forty. Uh, so yeah, Microsoft, they went ahead, they put good old windows 10 and it's, I guess, release format. I can't see too many differences, but I haven't played around with it much. Uh, loaded on the surface pro when I got home from WPC and it's kind of like neat. That's it. So, yeah, um, that's a good thing, right? If that's the build that they're going to release. Uh, I know on the devices I have it on, you know, I, I went back and upgraded a couple of VMs and things like that, and stores are still hosed, and uh, but it, it's all right, it's getting there. Um, I mean, you can definitely use it as a daily driver if you have to. Uh, they've and they're going to continue to iterate and have uh, you know fast releases and slow rings and all, all that stuff that we've talked about in the past. So. Uh, the nice thing about this one is uh, it's, like you said, getting closer to that RTM milestone. So there's no more of the, uh, the, the beta branding locked into your desktop. Uh, you're, you should notice that if you came over from a retail SKU, so if you were on Windows Home or Windows Professional, whatever that was, uh, you should actually show up as activated under your original SKU now or you should be able to activate this build and be off and running and, and doing some stuff with it. Yeah, I know for my build, it uh, automatically just popped up as activated. The little thing in the bottom right corner no longer said uh, the build number. It no longer said, you know, uh, evaluation use only. Um, so I guess it's legit. Um, yeah, so I guess uh, six days from now, everybody else will be getting it uh, out in their Best Buys, CompUSA, Micro Center. No. I can't buy it on a disc? Not, not yet. So it's, it's a little bit of a mess, right? And, and it's going to be this way for uh, some of the Office SKUs as well. So I don't know if you saw, they had a blog post about Office 2016 for Mac and what's going on there. And uh, because that RTM'd and... Office 2016 for desktops really hasn't RTM'd yet for Windows devices, but it's available for your Mac, but you have to have an Office 365 subscription, and if you run the preview, well, the retail box stuff isn't actually going to be available until like September, maybe, uh, September, October, something like that. So uh, there's a little bit of a delay in retail versus what you're going to be able to get just by upgrading over the internet or grabbing an ISO when they release those. And here I thought uh, cloud first, mobile first was the way to go. It, 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 it is the way to go. That's what we just said. I know. I just wanted to be ironic. Mm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, so I guess that got released a couple weeks ago. I didn't have any problems with it. I think we talked about it last time we were together. Um, I haven't found too many wonderful things with it, except that it doesn't crash as much as the preview did. Maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, it's getting there. Come, coming along slowly but surely. Um, and, you know, the nice thing is that, again, we've got this rapid iteration, and there's been a couple articles that have come out and talked about uh, possibly having forced upgrades for Windows Home users and things like that. And 
you know, in, in my mind, that's not the worst thing in the world to make sure that these devices are kept more and more up to date as we have, uh, you know, more and more hacks and security vulnerabilities and things that come out week to week. Uh, it's it's a little bit better in, in my mind from kind of a, a surface management and, and a threat surface uh, if Microsoft can hand some of those uh, patches down from upon high and make sure that they actually get applied to systems so we don't end up with, um, you know, another Windows XP situation in 10 years. 10 years. You think it's going to be that long before we uh, run into problems again? No, but I think you'll be on Windows whatever now. I, I would imagine you don't really need Windows 10 to... You know, it can always just be the last build of Windows because you're going to be in constant iteration. Kind of like Office 365. You never know what version you're running. You're just running a service. Uh, and Windows is effectively going to become a service in that sense. Yeah, I'm not I'm not quite certain how I feel about that. Um, is what it is. Uh, on that, about the Mac stuff, uh, out on, I guess, blogsoffice.com released yesterday... Uh, they had kind of the top 10 questions about Office for Mac 2016, one of which was... When That's will... what I just said. I love it when you listen to me. I know. Uh, when will Skype for Business and OneDrive for Business for Mac be available? End of the year. Yep. Yep. And they said that months and months ago. But end of the year also means that we'll probably still get it for Macs before you get it for Windows, which is going to be Awesome. Uh, I don't know. That roadmap they showed for the Office for Windows seemed to show there would be something later this year. Office for Windows, yes, but not like the sync clients and things well, like that. Well, I can you, hope. You've already got the preview sync client for Mac. You have no such thing as a preview sync client for Windows. Let me dream, Scott. Darn it. Yeah. Um, so other fun things back in the world. Uh, so, you know how they, they've rebranded Link to Skype for Business? Did they do that already? Sort of. I mean, if you download the Office 365 Pro Plus bits, even with 2013, it automatically transitions you over. Uh, unless you're running Link on-prem and they prevent you from doing so. But, uh, or, because if you are running Office 2016, it will actually revert you back to the Link interface, which is kind of funny. Yay, GPOs. Consistency. Yep. Uh, So the uh, fun stuff going on today. Um, So Skype, just the Skype consumer client had a capability that was Skype Wi-Fi. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yep, a little bit. Mostly through you because I think you're the only person that knows what it is. Yeah, so Skype Wi-Fi is effectively, uh, if you're like in a restaurant or something that has a Wi-Fi capability, um, Skype can act as the broker for you. So you don't have to enter a credit card or anything. You just use Skype credits and it pays for your Wi-Fi while you're actually there. Uh, maybe a decade ago, this would be really, really handy when Starbucks still had uh, wireless from T-Mobile that you had to pay for. Um, but today, I don't see this to be too useful, at least in the U.S. Maybe if I'm at a you know internet bar somewhere in Germany, that might come in handy to be able to use Skype Wi-Fi and just broker everything through that so I don't have to worry about my identity or credit card being stolen. Um, Microsoft, it seems, is transitioning this service to be Windows Wi-Fi or Microsoft Wi-Fi. Um, it's, I guess, just strange to me because I don't really see it being something people in the U.S. will really use. Uh, it's not giving you really any sort of VPN. It's just if you want to use your Skype credits to pay for Internet while you're in some lodge or hotel or coffee shop, you can do so. Um, so having lived overseas for the yeah, past year and a half, I, know, I, know. I can verify that there are other places that are not the U.S. Just going to throw that out there. Lived in Germany for five years. <laughs> I, I, it was there. Uh, although it was there only in the 80s. So um, No, so Microsoft Wi-Fi, I, I, yeah, I could see it being compelling to use. But I, I think I had the Mac client up in a Starbucks a couple weeks ago. Or not the Mac client, excuse me. Skype client up on my uh, Mac a couple weeks ago in a Starbucks, and it actually popped up a message and said, hey, we've detected Wi-Fi. Would you like to pay for it through Skype Wi-Fi? And I said, no. 
of course not. I'm here in a Starbucks. I'm going to use the Wi-Fi that they've got for free. Um, so maybe somewhere else it'll come in handy, but not here, at least in the U.S., from my opinion. Yeah. All right. So uh, enough about that, because Skype's boring. Uh, but I think we can talk about some money stuff. So uh, there, there's been a couple interesting things that have happened uh, over the last couple of weeks. So uh, a, a few weeks ago, Microsoft made an announcement that they were going to increase the prices for Azure in Europe and APAC yep. up to 26%. Which isn't that much. Mm. Sure, <laughs> uh, unless you live in those regions and, and pay for services there. So this is kind of an unprecedented thing in Cloudland. So typically we see prices go down as resources get cheaper and become more commoditized. So, uh, you know, storage is usually dirt cheap and you really don't see it get more expensive. You don't see compute get more expensive. You don't see the platform features get more expensive. So Microsoft has come out and they've said, you know, we're adjusting prices uh, to better align with currencies and things like that. So that makes sense. And, and companies like Apple do that all the time. You know, they, they readjust prices in the app stores or what they physically sell, um, you know, a laptop for things like that. You know, these companies that distribute physical goods worldwide. But for a cloud provider to come out and do that, it's a little strange. And Microsoft's kind of standing off on their own on this one, too. So uh, they've come out and they've made this announcement. Um, you know, having been in Australia for the last little bit, it's probably like one of the worst times to do it. Uh, just from a, a consumer adoption point of things, you know, they were about two years late with their Azure data centers there. And then they finally start to get people on board. And then they say, oops. Uh, our bad. Uh, that thing that cost you $100 last week, it's going to cost you 125 this week. And that's because of the US dollar. But, you know, people who live in Australia or live in Europe and, uh, you know, are tagged to the euro or whatever that is, uh, you know, they, they live by those currencies. So they can only see it as an outright increase. And companies like AWS are coming out and saying, um, you know, we have no plans to adjust our pricing and, and up things. So... What do you think is going on there? Do you think it's a, I mean, you said no big deal, a little bit in jest, maybe. Mostly in jest. I mean, I I can't justify them going in and doing that unless, like you said, it's based off of what the monetary adjustment is. So much like when you were in Australia, $1 US was what, Australian? Mm, like current exchange rate? Yeah. Uh, I believe it's about one U.S. dollar is about a dollar thirty-five, dollar forty Australian. So maybe they're not, you know. No, actually, it doesn't. That doesn't make sense. Uh, I don't know. I'd say you know if they were trying to do something where they were leveling it out. So if they're charging Australian dollars, if they were charging one Australian dollar, and the the price back in the U.S. was one dollar. All of a sudden, they look at the currency and they're like, oh, we're losing 22 cents per computer hour. I could see them bumping it up to 122 so they could level it out. But I, I can't justify them you know, doing what they're doing per se. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's an interesting thing, right? So if we're talking money and Microsoft is coming and increasing prices in additional regions and, and doing these kind of things, which are typically very... Uh, uncloudy. So they might have a business justification for it, uh, you know, from a monetary standpoint, but it's really kind of bad just from a consumer perspective if you're uh, looking to go out and, and have some consumption within those services. So Microsoft also talked a lot about uh, kind of the, the numbers behind Azure and, and they released some of that at WPC, right? So, you know, they're net new gaining... Uh, uh, what was it, 90,000 new subscribers a month? Yep. And then if you look at cloud services as a, as a whole at Microsoft, it's going to be an $8 billion business this year. So Office 365 and Azure and uh, CRM online and all those kind of things. So, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're doing pretty well in that space. So it's interesting that they choose to take a hit with kind of mind share and consumers and things like that. 
Um, so the other side of the numbers story, uh, I don't know if you saw it today, but everybody's been kind of doing their earnings lately. So Apple did earnings yesterday and, uh, you know, we've got Googles and Amazons and things like that coming out. So Amazon has started breaking out their AWS numbers within their earnings. So those were released today. Um, and they had some excellent numbers. So uh, they broke out and they were about $1.8 billion of total revenue for um, Amazon as a whole, which is actually pretty awesome because Amazon as a whole doesn't make any money, but AWS does. So uh, they're doing pretty good. Uh so that's like another three, like 0.3 billion up over where they were. Uh, and they're up uh, 81% from a year ago. So if they're looking at growth just in uh, a monetary perspective, not even the service kind of thing, they seem to be doing just fine without needing to have all the regions and uh, kind of developer share that, that Microsoft might have, right? So the question about how it's going to get spun, though, is they'll say, we had 81% growth. Microsoft, you only had 5% growth. Yet that Microsoft 5% growth probably exceeds that 81% growth cost-wise, money-wise. Well, so I think those numbers have always been a little bit weird, the way they've kind of spun them at reInvents and things like that. Yep. And that's fine because a number is a number. Um, but one of the things that you could compare is... Uh, basically the run rates of those businesses holistically, right? So Microsoft looks at cloud services as not just Azure, but Azure and Office 365 and Xbox. Yep, yeah. and, and all those things, yeah. right? And they're, uh, they say they're on a run rate to be uh, about $8 billion. Uh, so that, that's a like astronomical number. So if Amazon continues its current run rate, There'll be seven billion this year on the order of like six and a half to seven billion just for AWS, and they don't have all the other SaaS and kind of consumer services that Microsoft does. So that should give you a sense. You know, if anybody looks at the numbers and magic quadrants and you know all those kind of things and looks and says, well, really, how can AWS be that far ahead, or how can Microsoft be that far behind when you know you look at uh, kind of where these things are positioned in the market, um, it's kind of clear just by the amount of money that they're making on them. Yeah. No, I mean, Amazon continues to blow me away that they're still in business. Like you said, they really don't make much money off of sales. And then they have Amazon Prime Day, and they really don't make any money off sales. So props to them for you know being as amazing as they have been. Um, hopefully, we'll continue to see them flourish. But uh, I mean, it, it's something to be said about uh, having competition that makes you keep working hard. And Amazon definitely does keep uh, Microsoft not slacking. Yeah, no, pun, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could you imagine if Microsoft bought Slack, how horrible they would make it? Well, I mean, the Office 365 dev team is using uh, Slack with public, right? Are they now? Yeah. Chris Johnson, they posted something up on uh, the Twitter, I thought, and they said, anybody that wants to come join the Office 365 team and chat with us, the dev team, and chat with us and get pointers and tips, feel free to come join this network and just ask us for an invitation. Mm. I'll have to join that one. Yeah. And pretend that I'm a developer. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I was pretty surprised because I clicked the button, that IT pro thing we do, and all of a sudden it popped up as... Uh, I was invited. Me. Me. I know you know what Visual Studio is. Don't oh, yeah. smirk over there. You've got this going uh, now. So uh, let's see. Let's, let's talk about some stuff that's probably uh, near and dear to your heart. So uh, you're what? You're still an Office 365 MVP, right? So you care about Office 365 and what goes on there? No, just a SharePoint MVP. Yeah, cool. Uh, On-prem for the win. All right. Well, let, let's talk about Office 365 anyway, because there's some stuff that's been going on there. So uh, they've got a bunch of guidance out around the PowerShell commandlets for Office 365 groups. Yep. And how to manage all that stuff, right? So we've got uh, some of those new 
IT pro or administrative controls coming into place. And again, you know, the, you know, the, the term that you've coined for groups with them being that, that special magical unicorn kind of thing, uh, we're diving back into exchange to uh, figure out what's going on with some of that stuff. Yeah, so it's actually funny in the sense that uh, I was digging around for these, and I know a couple of us had said, hey, when are we going to see the PowerShell commandlets for unified groups actually pop up in the, Sher- uh, in the SharePoint commandlets package? When are they going to update that? And, you know, we waited and we waited and we waited and we were wondering where they were. Um, for anybody that administers Office 365, they know that it's three different products, and so we tend to see multiple different commandlet sets. So we've got one for SharePoint, we've got one for Azure Active Directory. Uh, we used to have one for Office 365, but that basically got consumed into the Azure Active Directory one. Yeah. Uh, and then you there's SPO. Well, the SPO one's the SharePoint one. Yeah, SharePoint Online. Uh, oh, I guess um, I was thinking like the SPO, like CSOM stuff, but that, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's another one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then uh, you have the Exchange one, which you can't necessarily download because it gets pushed to you during your session, and those get updated when you connect. Yep, yep. Um, those are still doing the PS session thing, and yeah. You know, so you always have the latest and brokenest. Yep. Um, so it was kind of interesting. I guess a couple weeks ago, I was digging through the articles when I was putting together the show notes. And lo and behold, there they were, the new Unified Groups uh, commandlets sitting there in the Exchange Online stuff. And I was like, huh, well, that's cool. i got to go play with those. And then I see that on July 24th, which is in the future, uh, Wichter goes out and publishes an article on it. So kind of see that he published this out, and it shows up as July 24th, which is tomorrow, I think. Uh, and it's basically, here's how I go create using the PowerShell commandlets. Um, so, so to be fair, he has a series of things. I know. So they're published across a couple days, mostly the 23rd and the 24th. So today is the 23rd. We're recording. Eh, they'll be available on the 24th, you know, but maybe he's in Australia and he's living in the future. Who knows? He could be traveling, you know, mm. for Debbie Ireland's uh, sure. conference out there or something like that. But he has a bunch of things, right? He went through and did a really nice series of posts on uh, how to leverage all that nice PowerShell for some administrative controls. So if you want to shut groups off, uh, if you want to uh, restrict some things around groups, whether that's naming policies or blocked keywords or prefixes and group names, things like that, if you want to shut that down through the UI, you can do that and then continue to create your groups through the PowerShell interface and have a little bit more uh, control around that if you need some of that big G governance. So um, all in all, a good series that everybody should probably check out if they're living in that space. So anyway, uh, if you're looking for unified groups commandlets and you've downloaded SPO and you've got the Azure Active Directory commandlets, just open up an exchange session. Um, you'll be good to go from there. But they are their own special little snowflake. Uh, just be warned. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, something like that. So uh, one of the other places that we had some new updates and things like that, uh, the office team had uh, a post that they put out about some of the new management controls coming into OneDrive for Business. So they had some nice updates there around uh, being able to limit syncing to domain-joined machines, uh, which, of course, breaks a bunch of other things along the way, like uh, non-domain-joined things like devices or think of things like Macs. You know, So Macs have that new spiffy OneDrive for Business client. Uh, you could just say nobody in my organization on a Mac is going to be able to sync because there's no way they can be domain-joined. Uh, and let things like that go ahead and take off. Uh, MDM, you know, we've talked about that in the, in the past, and, and that's all kicked in. Uh, and they've got some controls around uh, shutting off some of the claims across your uh, SPO tenants for groups like uh, everyone or uh, all users or uh, everyone except external users and things like that. So there's some really quick... Uh, set SPO tenant commands that can be fired off to shut all that stuff down, uh, which is, you know, it's nice to see uh, the administrative controls coming out now. 
long time coming for a lot of that stuff. Arguably, it, maybe it should have been there a little bit sooner. Um, but maybe businesses have run away with it too, and maybe they've seen some of the value in leaving some of this stuff alone and keeping it on. Well, maybe, just maybe, one drive for business will start to gain adoption. Uh, not once all the IT pros get a hold of it and just shut it off. Okay. Well, I can dream. Yeah. Um, other kind of new things in the uh, Office 365 world? Send. I, I don't even... Well, so this is one of those weird things, and you go ahead and have another sip of that old bay. Um, I don't... If we're going to talk about this app, I'm going to need another beer. All right. Uh, that'll put seven bottle caps on the... Yeah. Um, no, so Microsoft, they released this thing called Send, and it's from their garage. So it's some engineers that went together and decided to create something that makes use of capabilities that are in Office 365. Uh, do you remember the Yammer Now mm-hmm. app, which was basically private messages within Yammer? So there's all sorts of things in this space. Uh, I know a while ago uh, we started using something within our organization called Cotap. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's an iOS and I believe Android app that um, lets you hook into like your Office 365 gal and chat back and forth and you know not have to know people's uh, email addresses and, and things like that. So... Um, send is kind of in that same vein. It's meant to be a messaging app, but work through email, right? So uh, rather than sending long-winded emails or worrying about subjects or things like that, you're meant to go, uh, I'm going to send an email to Dan and I'm going to say, hey, what's up? And that's going to be my entire email. And I'm going to hit the send button in the send app. And there's going to be a little bit of inception and a wormhole is going to open up. And you're either going to see that in your copy of the Send app or you're going to see it in your email client with like hashtag subject comma Scott sent you a message uh, kind of thing. Um, So it's another way to manage email while introducing a whole new level of um, absurdity to email. That's pretty backgrounds though. It does. Uh, it's, it's also got some limitations, right? It only works with one Office 365 account. It only works with Office 365 accounts. Uh, as far as being able to hook up in the app and be able to log in and actually send a send, but you're really sending an email. No, you're, you're not sending a send. I, I'm so confused. Yeah, I mean, it. What's, uh, what was originally explained uh, in the first couple of articles that I read about it was that it used the conversation history. And so I kind of looked at it and I said to myself, wait, they're using the link slash Skype for business backends to be able to send little messages back and forth. Okay. That's neat. Um, but, uh, oddly enough, no, it's just email messages with that. Like you said, the hashtag send, uh, and then the names and what's even crazier is if you start responding back and forth with email, um, those email messages blend into the send message string. So I can see some people abusing that where instead, like you said, long-winded emails. I could see people sending long-winded sends, but that's just me. Um, so like many other things, uh, I don't know. I don't see it as being that much better. Um, I, I do find it funny, though, that it has a uh, – when you do the login, um, it actually says – is that account a work ID or a Microsoft ID? And so it gives you the option to declare it a Microsoft ID, but then it fails. Well, um, it's just using the uh, ADAL authentication library. So, yeah, you know, if, if you're in that land of easy IDs, uh, easy IDs still aren't easy, right? And we've talked about that in the past. <laughs> oh, they're easy, let me tell you. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that came out. Yep. Yep. Uh, let's see what else would, what, what else do you want to talk about here? Like I can think of a couple things that would be near and dear to Dan Usher's heart and, and, and we could go down a couple of different paths. So, uh, do you want to talk about client certificates or SharePoint migrations? 
Uh, how about uh, client certificates for 500, Alex? Client certificates. All right. So this is pretty cool. Uh, so do you ever do any work with clients around deploying uh, uh, Azure websites or really that, that web component of a Logic app now? Uh, unfortunately, not really, because most of the groups that I work with, they still prefer to do things through a VM. Uh, well, that stinks. Um, so so you should agree. find some people that want to work with this because uh, web apps have gained, or websites, whatever we're calling them, these, I don't even know what they're called, logic app, web stuff. Uh, these have gained uh, the ability to do client certificate authentication or basically uh, TLS mutual authentication. Uh, and they've got some new articles up on the uh, Azure documentation site that go ahead and talk about how uh, you can configure this with the REST APIs and uh, how you would actually go about doing uh, the consumption and validation of that certificate within a website that you deploy, which is kind of cool and, and kind of neat to see uh, that capability coming out. So now that's another reason or another capability that exists within the PaaS platform uh, where you would have had to go to something like IIS in the past. I guess I am I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, well, that's neat. Uh, how do I load in the CA certificate for validation? Oh, you know, you just put stuff up there. Well, I mean, it's one thing to do uh, certificate validation and say, yep, this person is part of our organization, yada, yada, yada. But then to actually reference it back to like a certificate authority to validate that the certificate itself is still valid um, and have that complete chain from the cert back to it is something else. So I think this is definitely cool. It, 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 it's going to be more for like public cert chains, right? Or things that can validate across the board. You know, it's not going to be for your internal testing app kind of thing. Uh, but maybe that'll come along someday, right? So we talked about like uh, Azure application gateways last time and, um, you know, how those are like load balancers light. You know, this is another like IS light, you know, client, mm. client certificate light kind of feature. Um, so it's there and it's nice to have. And if it works and it meets the needs for an organization, uh, you might as well use that and... Uh, let let it go ahead and do its thing. No, I mean, I think this is definitely handy. Um, not jack handy, but I see this as being very handy for organizations that are using smart card technology for everything else. Um, the ability to just have smart card, uh, or not smart card, but whatever they have, a USB token, a smart card, a client cert that's distributed to their work machine. Yeah, I, I think in this case, we'd really be talking about like client certs that are distributed to the machines. Yeah, right? but being able uh, to... We're, we're not talking about CACs or PIVs. Or... Well, no, not necessarily, but I know organizations out there, they do use you know smart cards that have client certs on them, or they use USB sticks with client certs on them, or something that identifies the person. So they have two-factor auth for their organization. I, I realize mom and pops probably don't have that, but some companies, they go down that path. And so, yeah. so, so, so you're in individual land, and I know that we've, uh, I've, I've worked for organizations that have done um, kind of... Uh, so I, I worked for a place once, and we did a kind of kiosk website solution for a grocery store chain. Yep. And, uh, you know, we had an application that uh, allowed them to... Uh, basically manage the scheduling of like a child drop-off at a grocery store, right? Some grocery stores have that. Um, and on on the kiosks, the kiosks themselves, you know, they would just go into the scheduling application in a web browser, but we needed a way to validate that. So we would do all that with client certs just based on, on the machines and the particular cert for that site would be tied into the actual site where it was deployed and everything else. So uh, you, you know, grocery store one, two, three, four had one cert, and grocery store one, two, three, four, five had another one, uh, and we could use that as a mechanism within the application to figure it out. So, uh, you know, there's a bunch of ways to go about it, and it, yeah, no, it's not going to be like doing like full blown client certificate stuff like you're going to have the ability to do with ADFS or um, even just IIS in general on its own, right? Or, or deploying into 
um, IaaS and getting your own, like you said, your own CA roots and everything and having that all going. But, uh, you, you know, it's, it's, it's something fun that's out there and it's, uh, it, it's available in the tool chain now, which means uh, hopefully it grows and gets better and, um, you know, improves over time. So I'm probably the only person that went out and did this, but you can get client certs for like digital signing of email. Um, you are the only person that's ever done that. Yeah, I, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, so multiple years ago, I bought a client cert for myself through a domain that I owned through a third party. Um, so it was, I think it was like a class three cert, so it wasn't really all that secure. But I could have used that to use that for something like this for client cert auth where my cert's registered, the certificate authority out there is publicly findable, um, the cert's valid, it's registered with an account on their system. Instead of having to go through the process of putting in a password, it would just say, oh, there's a cert, let them on in. Yep. So kind of neat to see they're actually doing that. Uh, something to make note of, it is not available through service management. So you can't use the old window or the... Uh, yeah, the windowsazure.com portal, manage, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you have to use the new portal, I guess. Actually, it says you have to use the REST API. So you yep. can use that or you can use the ARM client. But uh, so, so you can use the REST API. You can use uh, the ARM client, which I don't know that we've ever talked about ARM client on here. We should probably talk about it. Uh, and uh, you can also use the Azure Resource Explorer. Which ah, we have yes. talked about my, my favorite. Uh, so, so that lets you do those uh, puts and gets to, to those things as well. Um, and, and really the thing about this is um, all they've enabled is the capability to uh, let that cert pass through from the client, but it's up to your application to do the validation, right? There's no logical certificate validation built in at the service level. They're just saying, we're going to allow those certs to pass through. And now that you have that capability, your application can go ahead and figure out whatever it needs to figure out to do what it needs to do. Yeah. So the ARM client, just a quick little sidebar. Uh, it is a cute and handy console app to send HTTP requests to our friendly Azure Resource Manager REST API. Um, it's only the new stuff. And not the old stuff. So it's everything ARM, nothing ASM. Uh, ASM being Azure Service Management API, our friendly API that has been around for quite a while. And will continue to be around forever just to annoy Scott. Uh, you know, ASM doesn't annoy me so much. Uh, you know, I hear... Uh, I, I think there's a lot of confusion in the space. So I know... Mm, uh, I, I'd imagine you run into this with the conversations you have too, where somebody goes, uh, you know, I only use uh, I, I only use the old portal because that's what I'm comfortable with, or uh, I only use the new portal because you know it has that one checkbox I need or things like that. Uh, and I think one of the things that's been abstracted away and hasn't been uh, really publicized or or made known to folks is that. Uh, the portals have different capabilities because they're leveraging different API sets, right? The, the new portal is, uh, for the most part, ARM-based uh, or doing the, the resource management stuff. And the old portal is ASM. So it's doing all the things that ASM could do. So, uh, you know, ARM is the path forward. So I know there's folks that don't like to use the new portal, but uh, you've really got to learn what's going on there and... and how to use it and how to make use of it because someday they're going to do the V1, V2 migration and, and the uh, the ASM to ARM thing. Um, and you're either going to get left in the dust or you're not going to understand why things are falling down apart and breaking around you, which they probably will because it's probably going to be a messy process to get there. Probably. Um, so that ARM client though, uh, much like our favorite CSOM uh, commandlets for Office 365 SharePoint management. Uh, again, it's a community-built tool that is not Microsoft official, but it seems to be getting some support and headway. So, kind of cool. We'll we'll probably dedicate well, some time so, to so, it. So it's part of Project Kudu, right? It's part of Project Kudu, but which is new, Microsoft official. But our, the ARM client itself is not a official Microsoft project. Sure, it is. If it's part of Project Kudu, 
Um, and it, it's really, it's coming out of David Ebo, and he's the uh, the product manager for like Azure Logic App website stuff. So if he's the guy who wrote it, you can pretty much assume that it's official enough in the sense that um, the guy who owns the service wrote the client. <laughs> um, you, you know, you, you can go out and use it. Uh, you know, if you're going to make the argument that it's not official, I'm going to say that the Azure PowerShell commandlets aren't official because they just live in a project on GitHub. And who cares? So, so out on David Ebo's website, a few notes before we start. At this point, ARM client is not an official Microsoft tool. It is an OSS project written primarily by Suwatch. You can find it on GitHub forward slash project kudu forward slash ARM client. We're releasing it because we think it can be useful to others. Based on the feedback, we'll see what direction we'll take with it. Yep. So uh, he can say it's not official, but he's the one who published it to the official repo. So, uh, yeah, you know, not not the smartest idea on his part, but a great way to publicize it, right? And and, and say that it's out there. So I'm still going to make the argument if it lives within kudu, which is pretty much tied into everything in Azure websites, then it's about as official as you're going to get. Yeah, I know. I'm just using his own words against him. Yeah, well, it's what we do. So uh, in other news not related to Azure, um, Google decided to irritate the hell out of AWS. Again? Yeah, they gave, they're giving away 100 petabytes of storage. Storage is cheap. You can buy that for what, like two pennies anyway? Yeah, but they're giving it away for free up to six months. Mm. Yeah, up to six months. So, uh, so, yeah, so, so this is their new cold storage stuff, right? They're kind of... Uh, Nearline is what they call it. It's... Highly available, affordable solution for backup, archiving, and disaster recovery. It's like... It's Glacier. glacier. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the three qualifiers are become a first-time Google Cloud storage customer. Okay, well, if you already have a Google account, Sorry. Uh, switch from any cloud service provider or on-premises. Okay. Uh, commit to migrate at least one petabyte into Google Cloud Storage within three months of sign-up. 100, gigab- 100 petabytes, though. That's a lot of storage to give away for free for six months. But how the heck are you supposed to get your data out if you don't want to use it? Uh, you know, the nice thing is all these competitors' data centers sit right next to each other. Yeah, true. Just a little bit of egress. Well, you know, it's kind of funny, though. Commit to migrate at least one petabyte into Google Cloud Storage within three months. So what's their ingress? <laughs> like, uh, if they, it, can, they say they process uh, bursting beyond the everyday four megabytes per second. But uh, I'm, I'm curious, like, if, if it wasn't physically possible to actually put in a petabyte. <laughs> uh, you know, so, so they're missing some things that other providers have, like, hey, send me a really big hard drive, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, you know, the Google engineers probably didn't think about that. Yeah, details. But, who knows? Somebody, somebody might have had that conversation and just said, what's a hard drive? Let's, uh, <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and skip that part. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. All right, so we're coming up on time. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, two things. No, you can only talk about one. And you're limited to three seconds. Go. Visual Studio 2015 launched. Who cares? We'll talk about that next time. Sherlock special's coming to the big screen next year. Sherlock. Oh, we can talk about Sherlock, sure. Well, Sherlock's more interesting than Visual Studio. No, no disagreement. Uh, so this is the BBC Sherlock, right? This is the BBC Sherlock with uh, Cumberbatch. Yep. Um and uh, Frodo, I guess. Um, yeah, I'll always officially call him Frodo. Uh, I mean, it, it's his feet. It he is. He has hobbit feet. He, you... he does. Um, yeah, so apparently after a couple years now, a year and a half maybe, it's been a while. So they came out with the third series of Sherlock. Um, <clears throat> they haven't really done much since then. I mean, they've made movies. Uh, you you may have seen Frodo running around being chased by smog um, in Lord of the Rings. Oh, it wasn't Lord of the Rings. That was The Hobbit. Yeah, yeah my bad. Uh, so in the Hobbiton movie, um, you had Cumberbatch doing the voice of smog, and you had Frodo running around. So you had Sherlock yelling at uh, Watson um, or breathing fire at him. Uh, it's interesting nonetheless, but apparently they're going to release a, I guess, full-length film 
Um, it'll be a Sherlock movie through the BBC, and then they'll also have yet another series coming out shortly thereafter. So I'm stoked about it. Uh, I'm hoping they release it the same time they release it in the UK, um, because I really don't want to have to go with you go through and use uh, tunneling services or redirect, redirection services to be able to get to it. I'll let you use my VPN. Oh, that's so kind of you. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, so that's... I'm excited. Uh, the first series of that show was pretty pretty wild. It was excellent. If Yeah, if, if nobody is caught up on the BBC rendition of Sherlock, they are... Three uh, episode series, easily consumable. Yep, three, three episodes and They're like it, what hour and a half each, hour fifteen, uh, the, the, a little over an hour. Yeah. yeah. So, so think of it as like a three hour movie, and you're done with the whole season, and you move on to the next one. So, uh, great for binging and going. Mm, I just watched all that in three days. Where's or, the rest of it? Or a day? Yeah. Um, I, the first series wasn't. The first series. Uh, with Moriarty and everything was pretty wild. I think it was the second episode that I was just kind of like, eh, that's neat. The first episode and the third episode of that series were rocking. Uh, the second series was pretty amazing. The third series, uh, especially when Holmes gets married, or not Holmes, uh, Watson gets married, holy smokes, that episode was amazing. Yep. Uh, again, people need to go out and watch it. It's on like the must-watch list with Orphan Black and the bunch of the other stuff that, that we've talked about what's orphan black we'll get you there okay someday thanks someday you'll be a real geek someday until then i'll just have a flying r2d2 quadricopter no i told you no can't talk about it okay next time okay teaser follow up mm. all right what do you say we buttoned up click click